0: Everyone, welcome back to Vicious Cycle, the only comedy podcast about periods. I am your co Kate Elston,
1: and I'm your other co blost Meg Trobridge.
0: Oh my god, you guys! I'm Meg Hayes. She and really I'm from, is, and I'm from Long Beach. Gang, I'm from Long Beach. I'm Irish.
1: That's our Meg Hayes. <laughs> you know her, you love her, and she's definitely here right now. She is
0: definitely not still in Europe. Europe um where she is living large living the life and we're happy for her um, yeah no we're definitely we're, only happy we're, for her there's only happiness yeah coming from my clenched fists yeah and, and jaw and and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and twitching eye <laughs> um no um hey everyone welcome back um Sorry about last week's. Well, not last week, but you know, this is the first time we've come back to you since there was a little glitch, a little in, whoopsie in the doodle, matrix. as yeah. we call it. It was a whoopsie doodle, um, but I hope you all did listen to that cis man episode. We do actually think that maybe this was the the matron saint Lenora Chalmers. Um, <laughs> it's Leona. Uh, what did I say? <laughs> Lenora. God, I get her name wrong <laughs> every, every time. <laughs> I think. <clears throat> that's also leona yeah that's her yeah um i think she is she was pulling a prank on us and yeah like you you have a cis man on your show you huh. sure you want to do this then i'm gonna mute kate's <laughs> channel i'm gonna mute the audio of kate she doesn't like me oh, classic I, I, leona i'm the only goblost coblost that wears menstrual cups
1: yeah it's a good point you and should you give her a chance Ka- uh, leona <laughs>
0: maybe i was leona in another life
1: oh shit so this is like you fucking with yourself? Yeah, that's something I would totally do. This sounds like a promise for a screenplay that so we need to write tonight. <laughs> yeah.
0: But um, well, yeah, What? Well, thanks for, uh, you know, listeners, the, dealing with us the last two weeks. We ran some reruns. Yeah. Hope you liked them. We love going back through the archives. We could just, we should just be syndicated. Yeah, honestly.
1: Like after school, 5 p.m., we should be on like ABC. Yeah. And kids after school can just laugh along with us and learn
0: um but Meg's okay we haven't we're in the same room together we are touch touch hands um how have you been did you bleed anywhere crazy
1: um so I lucked out so much um because I recently went to New York um and uh I could have done so many other New Yorks New York New York
0: um, You could have done um, NYC Just got here this morning I So many options Let's do more Wait let's do okay.
1: more um, um, uh, Start spreading the news Yes But well, I can't remember How New York sounds in that Me neither
0: I'm leaving New today, today. I'm i got gonna, gonna be a part of it, of it. New, New York. York, New York. Yeah. And then isn't there one by, um, by, uh, Frank? Well, that one I know by Frank. What, what, did you already sing that one? Frank Sinatra?
1: Start spreading the news. Oh. I mean, that was Oh, my, that was Frank. I, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Early, he's
0: done it. it yeah. Yeah. It's not his original. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway.
1: Batteries up and that's New York, New York. Like New York, New York. Or what about the greatest city
0: in the world? Uh, in the greatest city, city in the world. Uh-huh. Oh, that's sounded alright. That, Okay, anyway, so you were in New York. I was in New York. So, like, so I was actually in New Jersey. Long story longer. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I was an upstate Connecticut ticket. Um, and uh, and yep, yeah, my husband was there for work, and I stayed home a couple days to watch the cats and uh, hopefully finish my period in time before I flew to New York. And I did. Yeah. So Squeezed I was out. freshly pure uh, <laughs> and had a great time in New York. Went up to the Cloisters, Which I feel like there's got to be a joke. Oh, there's a thirty rock. There's a thirty rock joke joke about
0: that. Um, Yeah. What are the cloisters? Someone tell me because there's a thirty rock period joke about. She says she took her aunt Flo to the cloisters, and her boyfriend thinks that's a period euphemism, but she's like, (laughs) "No, I took my my aunt Flo was actually in town, and we went sightseeing." (laughs) But I've never. I've always been like, (laughs) cloisters. I get it. What's a cloister? (laughs) So the cloisters. Can so I tell what, you what I think it is? Yes, please. I imagine this is literally what I imagine. Do you remember in in Little Mermaid when all of the at the big opening number with Ariel and her sisters, yes. and they come out of shells and they, and they sing? <laughs> I imagine the cloisters <laughs> is a collection of seashells open
1: and ladies pop out. <laughs> um, that's exactly that? what it is. You're Why right. Do I
0: think that? <laughs> A cloister
1: is clo- a cloister i Im- mean because cloister implies like hidden away so i can see why you went <laughs> so it? small I don't know. so if you're uh so it's usually a monastery <sighs> and it's like you know and it's if it's a cloistered monastery then it means that they like <laughs> aren't idiot. allowed out and people aren't allowed in i knew this yeah yeah but also there's clamshells everywhere <laughs> <I> just imagine <laughs> clamshells on a lawn yeah and nuns just pop up being like hey quiet down <laughs> um so uh but so it's uh like peace remnants of monasteries from like europe medieval europe and then they've put them all together in this one beautiful building and so as you walk around they're like oh this archway is hmm. from uh, medieval france cool. you know and this one is from Espana, and then it's also got like medieval artwork and statues and stuff and then it's built like a classic monastery so it has all these gardens and there's like a medieval garden with like ah the herbs that they used of the time mm. we spent like an hour just exploring the herbs and we're like this is what
0: turmeric looks like cool we are Do you think dicks. there were abortion herbs in there oh there's did you come across any penny royal i didn't see any penny royal but it's okay. true
1: i really should have kept my eye out because i bet half of those herbs you could have yeah chewed on there
0: were so many more that meg mentioned that i can't yeah. remember right now yeah once again Milk our brains thistle. are sponges yes not that's sponges, not sponges. Opposite.
1: <laughs> our brains are bouncy balls <laughs> uh just going <laughs> <laughs> um but had a great
0: time that's in new great. york i'm glad yeah. you didn't bleed there yeah i didn't bleed there that's great Thanks. um i just finished my period uh it Congrats. was fine it was fine um uh, it came early, but not, not that early, but my news, and I haven't seen you since I went to Oregon to visit my fam. Yeah. Um, uh, including my sister who just had dermoid surgery really? on her ovaries. <gasps> so shout out to other Meg, my oh sister, my God, she, had um, she had a gear She had a gear Um, Aww. I, she seems to have recovered fine. I actually haven't checked in with her since the surgery. Nice. Um, you're a good sister. I'm a great sister. <laughs> um, I wrote like, how you feeling? She wrote all good. And that's all. <laughs> oh, but I do have news. Um, actually, uh, Because remember, I think it was like episode one, Meg Hayes was talking about uh, kidney stone pain. Oh, yeah. And she was saying that, you know, some men in her life have said that kidney stone pain is worse. It's like so bad. And Meg was like, there's no way it can be worse than than some people's cramps. Well, I asked my sister. My sister has had both. She had a kidney stone when she was like. 22 or something, yeah. Um, and she said it was horrible. It was the worst pain ever. It was oh. absolutely terrible. But she admits that she doesn't get cramps at all. She's never had really bad cramps. Oh. But she was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. no. She kidney was like, Kidney definitely. stones are awful. And she's never given birth either, so I, I don't know that. But yeah, uh, from the the mouth of a uterus haver, right? Kidney stones were horrible. I mean, here's what I said. Horrible. That's and how she you She know.
1: stands by it. <laughs> um, I here's what I imagine is that despite the fact that our bodies are insane and a large eight pound, give or take body comes out of a small canal. It is designed to like our body does like the cervix opens and our hips move and stuff where a kidney stone, it's just not supposed to do that. It's not supposed to happen. Yeah. And it comes out of a a tiny tube. That's just not supposed to have anything in it. Yeah. So I can imagine it's got to be a different pain altogether. Yeah. And there's nothing be...
0: at the end of it. <laughs> yeah, not right. Like you get
1: a child. <laughs> Unless you're Joey and then you take home your cute little kidney stones. That's right. Friends, um, ref.
0: <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, thanks to my sister for, for being the boots on the ground for that. Should we get into this episode? Yeah, let's do it. This is gang. gang. This is gang, folks.
1: Everybody. This is a great episode.
0: This is so good. We just, uh, we recorded this a while ago with Meg Hayes and Meg Tro and I just sat down and kind of scrubbed through it again Mm -hmm. to remind ourselves how good of an episode this is. We talked with Sarah Merrick. They are an abortion doula. Which I didn't know was a thing. Did not know that existed. And it makes absolute perfect sense. Yeah. They're based in Oakland. Um, Let me just read you what they sent me about who they are. Sarah is an herbalist, abortion doula, and fertility awareness educator based in Oakland, California. They work at the intersections of cycles, plant medicine, and education. They provide group classes and individual consultations for folks who are interested in connecting more with their body, their cycles, and the earth. Mm. You can find them at Sarah Merrick. That's C-E-R-A. M E R R I C K dot com, or the I G handle is at Sarah Merrick C E R A for Sarah. Um, this, this episode's great,
1: yeah. Just I just I learned so much because when I knew because Kate uh had a chat with Sarah before the interview, um, but I just didn't even know how to wrap my head around being an abortion doula, so I just had a very like limited idea, like, oh you're with them during the procedure or, you know, like, Mm -hmm. but there are so many different ways a doula can be there for someone going through an abortion and you're going to hear about them. Yeah.
0: Let's, let's talk about it on the other side. Let's let's not give anything away to the listeners, but yeah, enjoy. Um, I'm so proud of this season of what, who we're talking to and the things I'm learning so much. I hope the listeners are learning so much. So same, here we go.
1: We'll see you on the other side and full disclosure, I'm going to sing the doors when you get there.
0: You're going to do what? I'm going to sing The Doors. Why? You're going to get it. Okay. Don't worry. Oh, my gosh. Sarah, thank you so much for being on Vicious Cycle. It's really lovely to have you.
2: I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Of course.
0: <laughs> so as our listeners know, we've been um, you know, doing a lot of interviews and research on abortion. Um, we are recording this before the opinion officially comes down on Roe v. Wade. But what we can assume is that... Things are going to be bad. Things are going to be gutted. We've done the math. There are six conservative justices. Um, so in our research, we found that there are people that are abortion doulas and that really like made us want to know more. So Sarah, you are an abortion doula. So I would love to know bare bones. What is an abortion doula and how did you become one?
2: Yeah, such a good question to start off with. Um, so I'm going to talk generally what abortion doulas do and like It really is like choose your own adventure when it comes to abortion doula work, but. Sounds awesome. (laughs) Generally abortion doulas provide care before, during or after an abortion. And that care can be emotional support, spiritual support, physical support. Um, It can be done virtually. It can be done in person. Um, Some people provide waiting room support. Um, It really depends on the clinic and like the state you're in. Um, But Some place, some clinics allow for a support person to come into the room but if that's not possible having someone at least sitting for you sitting for you in the waiting room is an option um what i have found is a lot of a lot of what i do is prepare people for what to expect um, from their abortion and ways to um, prepare a lot of the people that i support are have are having medication abortions and so um the kind of like twist or like so, my kind of niche is offering spiritual support so making space for that to be ceremony um, and making space for people to connect with it in a more ceremonial way has been a lot of really important work for me and um, what got me into abortion doula work was I don't know it's hard to say because it's like it's it's such an important part of my identity i'm like oh it hasn't always been like this though <laughs> <laughs> when like, i think what did about you wanna it be as
1: a kid you know <laughs>
2: <laughs> i mean maybe a little yeah. bit <laughs> badass <laughs> um um i think it was you know i had been interested in like I, people I, I didn't grow up in a family where abortion was shamed and like mm-hmm. abortion was normalized and so Learning about abortion was something I learned about when I was younger. Like people in my family had abortions, and it was kind of something that was normalized. And so maybe when I was a kid, there was a seed planted. But mm. it was honestly the first year of Trump's presidency that I felt this like, okay, it's time to like learn some shit. Can I mm. cuss? Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sarah,
3: for sure. Okay. <laughs> in these times,
2: yeah, all the time. <laughs> but yeah, it was the first year of that dude's Mm -hmm. presidency, quote-unquote um and uh I just started like researching like what is abortion as an herbalist like what is it what has abortion meant historically um and that's when I found um a doula collective in California and I trained with them that was my first kind of launching point I mean so many people we
0: talked to Trump (laughs) uh bleep that we actually don't say Trump's name we swear but we, we, we right do. yeah right. um we do censor our former president no but so many people we talked to got into so much of what they do like their activism work or whatever because he was president and like same with that i mean that's how this podcast got started too um so Sarah, when you said um you said you grew up in a house that was that talked openly about abortion and then you said you you work with people spiritually. So I'm just curious if you practiced a religion in your family growing up that allowed you to talk about abortion more cuz we all grew up pretty catholic, so this definitely wasn't I think something in our households. So I wonder I'm just curious like are are you of a religion that was open to
2: abortion? Um my family is primarily catholic and Jewish. So, um, I think because most of my family were practicing Jews, like it was, there was more spaciousness for abortion in Judaism. Um, but even my like Catholic family, we, maybe we didn't call it an abortion. We took plants and we drank certain things, you know, when we did wanted to release a pregnancy, but it, even with my Catholic family, it wasn't demonized in the same way that I think it is politically by the Catholic yeah. church now. Yeah.
0: I wonder, I wonder if, I mean, maybe maybe you know the answer to this, Sarah. Has it always been demonized in the Catholic Church?
2: No, which is super interesting to me. There's a really great book called Sex and Herbs and Birth Control by, uh, I think her name is Koblitz, um, and she talks about how um, it was not until the 1800s, like the mid, like 1850 or so, someone who was in power in the Catholic Church, a, a priest, like, declared that conception started at fertilization that moment when that egg and sperm met each other but before then before the 1850s um what was generally accepted was that quickening which was like eight or so weeks was considered the beginning of a pregnancy and it was when the pregnant person announced to their community that they're pregnant because they felt the first movement of the baby or the pregnancy Um, and i just it's such a it's such a cultural shift. I think how we define abortion and how we define life even. And it's like, it hasn't always been like this and it won't always be like this. So I really like looking at the history of it. That's fascinating. Um,
0: quickening at eight weeks. I feel like that's really soon.
2: Yeah. Quickening. I I think it ranges from eight to 10 weeks, but before then people knew also like where they might have been in their cycle. Um, more people were synced up with the moon (laughs) in um, blood with the moon, and I think we're more aware of the plants that they could drink or the people they could call upon um, to release the pregnancy sooner. So even if it's it is sooner, but now it is even sooner because we don't have that relationship to our cycles or the moon or the plants in the ways that we used to.
0: Cool. I want to talk more about all that sort of ancestral knowledge and, and history of abortion in a little bit, but um, you had just mentioned that you, as a doula, some in some states doulas are allowed into the waiting room in clinics and other times they're not i wonder is that one of those like bullshit rules that certain states do like you can't have anyone in here to just like
2: make abortion like way more horrible to get (laughs) well i want to say in california i haven't found a clinic that i've been able to go into so california is like one of the you know progressive ones but like um yeah i mean i think i put most of the fault mostly onto like terrorist groups that are causing harm to abortion clinics Mm. maybe it becomes like you know i think it can do liability doula's gonna be a hassle to providers sometimes so it could also be an excuse like they don't want doulas oh we need to protect ourselves sure Um, but i was actually building a relationship with the cluster of uh, clinics up in northern california and they were like we just changed our policy we're gonna get doulas in the room and then COVID happened Mm. and so i think yeah i think it's more of like a, a problem with the clinic system that they have it they don't allow support people in and they think that they I mean they do good work but like they think that they can do it all
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. but we've been
2: able to push the needle a little bit more in birth because um you're allowed to have a supporter in there and it's really sad because you know I think it's sad because people deserve to have a support person in the room regardless of the outcome of the birth and um I really hope that that changes so does that
3: mean does that mean even a partner isn't allowed in the room
2: Correct. It depends wow. on
0: the clinic's well, policy. Yeah. I mean, Meg T., would you have... So so Meg Trowbridge, um, she had an ectopic pregnancy um, and had to have methotrexate. And I wonder, Meg, if you would have wanted a doula.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah. It would have been a game changer then because the medical professionals I talked to, I mean, they, they all seemed so, like, looking up things as it was going along and... <clears throat> And then, you know, they said, okay you can expect uh, bleeding. And they sent me home with pads. And so I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to bleed immediately. Like I slept on a towel like the night I got the medication because no one like really walked me through timing and like what's the range and for how long to expect it. They were just like, here's pads. Let us know if you fill one in less than two hours. And that's all. That's all I got. And so just having someone be like, here's what a miscarriage can look like to for a bunch of different people. Um and <clears throat> yeah, that would have been and then on top of that, I mean, the- it was just in the middle of the night at an emergency room. So like, you know, no one's really got the time to sit down and be like like at one point one person was like,
0: Oh, I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> like, Oh my okay. gosh.
2: <laughs> All right, see,
0: uh Sarah, is that like is that typical for what you hear of people that go through
2: A lot of, I think, I think it's interesting because I think also I attract a certain type of client, but a lot of the clients that I do have had, I'm often helping heal the trauma that they experience in a clinic. Like it's like, it's like a quick and dirty experience in clinics. Like it's sterile, but like it's, it lacks the personal touch that I think midwifery does and like at home care does. And so that's what I hear in your story. It's kind of like, you have to just be plugged to the machine and like, thank God you had like access to healthcare. Like, I feel like we're like. Yay. Thank you for your crumbs. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Right.
2: Yeah. It is interesting to hear that they used methotrexate. state. It is surprising to hear. I don't know if you've reflected on that, but it's a medication they don't use in the U S as much anymore. Really? They use it to induce abortions in Canada, but they don't really use it in the U S anymore because of it's has lower effectiveness than other um, medications.
1: Ah, well, so, uh, in my case, <clears throat> Because we knew, like, because we talked to someone about abortion pills, and I was like, why wasn't I given those? But she made the point, like, those specifically cause uterine contraction, and, like, if that's this is like first embryo outside of the uterus. So then I talked about methotrexate. Um, But in my case, they said, "Uh, we'll give you a shot, but also they said, let's do a DNC. And so it was supposed to be like a double. And uh, (laughs) they brought in. The dnc pr- tools uh which was just a bucket and like the the vacuum scrapey thing that i got to see and they just left that there for about an hour and a half while i waited and i just the panic just kept getting worse and worse and i i was like I, they told me they were gonna give me fentanyl for the pain and i was just like everything about this is terrifying and so and i think the doctor could tell when they came in that she was like you know, uh, you don't have to do the DNC. We can give you the shot, and then if somehow, like, your HCG is still too high, then we'll give you a second shot. And I did end up needing the second shot. But I was, like, so close to actually ugh. being fine. But, yeah, it was – Ugh. I hate that story so much.
2: <laughs> I'm really glad that nurse was able to, like, see your response and, like, slow down and give you options. I'm really yeah. glad to hear you got that care.
1: Uh, I mean mm. – yeah. Cause I don't think, I don't think I specifically told anyone, but yeah, she just said, Oh, by the way, if that's not something you want to do. And I'm like, thank you. I don't thanks. Okay. Bye.
0: Yeah. So Sarah, you said, um, you like, you attract a certain kind of people to like that to as your clients, like who, who are those people and how would you, how do they find you?
2: Yeah. So, They find me, a lot of my clients find me via word of mouth, (laughs) or they listen to a podcast that I'm in. and (laughs) (laughs) Works like a charm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I do have a website um, that people can navigate to. I'm on Instagram too, but often it's text messages. Um, A lot of like, something I didn't highlight when I was describing abortion, what an abortion doula is, or an abortion supporter, is like a story keeper. And so Often I get text messages from people who are like friends of friends. Like I have no one to share. Like, let me tell you, tell you my story. Mm -hmm. Um, um, And then I guess the flavor, the type of client that I often attract, even though I do support people who um, may not identify as as spiritual or religious. um, But I do attract folks who are wanting to find meaning in their abortion, Mm -hmm. um, wanting to treat it more like a, Uh, more of a bigger event in their life like a like a a point at which like I don't know like an initiation is a good way to describe it Um, I think that there are space for there to be multiple realities if someone gets pregnant and they want to refer to that pregnancy as a clump of cells it's totally valid and I also make space for people who want to um, have a relationship with their pregnancy even after it's released and acknowledge believe that there's a they're is a spirit associated with the, with the pregnancy. Um, And I, yeah, just mostly give people permission to do that because the religious forced birth side has really Mm -hmm. co-opted any amount of like spirituality when it comes to that pregnancy, they like make it seem that either it's like, there's a spirit and you're a murderer and it's like, no, there's actually a possibility for people to continue their relationship, with that pregnancy and with that spirit, if they choose to, Mm -hmm. um, if that's something they believe in.
3: I remember hearing I think this took place in Japan that um, people had like Buddha statues that they could go to after an abortion as almost like a place to memorialize that like you said like that spirit and they would bring like trinkets and I always thought that was really beautiful um because not like you said not every abortion is the same it there's a lot of emotions that are behind it and i always thought that was such a beautiful and like healthy option Mm. to have yeah
2: yeah i don't recall the name of the of the um ceremony or of the practice but they do there is a gathering in northern california of people who are japanese and they have a space to memorialize abortions miscarriages stillbirths um because it actually acknowledges this part of birth and like um that is often moved to the shadows and it is so healthy for us to acknowledge that all these birth outcomes are valid and important part of this common story
0: yeah i think that's so fascinating too because the the narrative you hear from like you said the forced birth religious right is like you are a terrible person for ending this pregnancy you kill babies so it's it's I would love for you to just kind of like, what's your counterpoint to that? I mean, obviously there's a hundred things you could say, but like in your work, like I imagine that's just like, absolutely not what's going through your client's minds is like, there's so much more.
2: Yeah. I think if my, like my first initial counterpoint and sassiness is like, call me a murderer. Fuck you. Like, like, (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, whatever. Like, I just really think it's so. I don't know. I just kind of have a dark humor about it when people are so vicious and they're the one murdering people (laughs) and they're like, you're the murderers. Um, And from like an empathetic point of view, I think that um, people deserve to have a, have a relationship with, with their pregnancies, regardless of the outcome. And like people need to, they need to get out of people's way and they're really cutting that off for too many people, people who want that. And um, I really think that like, you can be religious, you can be spiritual and have an abortion and you don't have to split yourself. You don't have mm-hmm. to, you know, go to the, go get an abortion one day. And then to think that, you know, internalize that as a, a uh, like a, an issue or a problem or something you shame yourself about. So I'm just really into like releasing the shame. Um, and finding the gray area because as humans there's a lot more complexity than there's being this like, you know, this black and white kind of political landscape on the media, but Mm -hmm. there's actually like the humans are much more like gray or in between. So I think that's the role of the midwife and doula is finding people in that in between. Um, and I just think it's being a disservice to everyone for people for the religious right to like the forced birthers to, um, not allow allow that expression of people. Mm.
0: Um, when does your work end with someone who's gone through an abortion?
2: Yeah, it depends on the client. Um, sometimes I work with someone. So like, unlike birth work, like abortion work comes, I mean, abortion work comes like more in like a immediate need, I guess if someone's meeting with a birth client, that's like later, their later term, then it's more of like a reactive, reactive thing. But, um, I often meet with someone like soon after they contact me, depending on what kind of care they're needing. Um, And then their abortion is usually not scheduled too far out. So then we connect again, at least a couple of times before their procedure. um, And then afterwards, maybe in the two weeks afterwards, um, no later than when the next time they bleed, I think like cycles are a great way to mark time. And so at least by their next menses, we connect again. Um, But I have some clients who, we connect annually on like the anniversary of their release or of their abortion. And so sometimes it spans years, depending on the client.
1: I don't know if these are actually interesting questions. It's just, I guess I'm curious. Like, so one, um, is this, uh, your, uh, abortion, uh, abortion. I, Ay. Sunday babies, <laughs> um, an
2: abortion Portia. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> um being an abortion doula and an herbalist is that kind of your your full time or is this something that like you still need to supplement is it like i i because i don't know it's interesting because knowing other doulas um you know i wonder if it's as busy as being you know a maybe more traditional doula or maybe all doulas have this kind of similar training i guess i'm
2: i'm just uninformed Yeah, so I guess one of the, I mean, I think that there are many birth doulas who are also abortion doulas, but I like distinctly call myself an abortion doula or abortion supporter, because I don't live within the realm of birth. Um, And I think that I get more sleep than birth doulas. (laughs) My (laughs) friends who are birth doulas, like they are on call for a couple weeks, like Uh every ring on their phone. So I'm thankful that if I'm supporting someone, and they're releasing their pregnancy it might be one or two nights of like mm. sleepless nights which like is part of kind of the shtick of being a doula is sleepless nights yeah <laughs> um but i feel like i want to hear more about your what your question was cuz i heard a little bit here and there but oh,
1: yeah i mean i so part of the question i think i'm trying to ask is like is this i i hope i'm trying to figure out a way to phrase it that is like I kind of want to ask is it a busy business like do you feel like a a lot of people getting abortions know about this and that like or is it more rare you know are you not seeing as many people as you think you would
2: it's a really busy business and it's getting busier um Mm. but I don't in terms of like I also have a desk job to pay like pays the bills because like because abortion is already so inaccessible and um Often I'm connecting with people who are having a difficult time finding clinical support. Um, I am currently working on thinking about ways to get revenue that isn't from just for my clients. So if I was getting paid fully by my clients, it would be a really busy, like ample business, but it just, it's a lot of the work I do is sliding scale and, um, there aren't enough people who know about abortion doulas. Um, So there is a lot of work and also there could be more. Um, And I, that's something I love to tell people, like you're having an abortion, you deserve support. Um, But there's so much shame infused into abortion. Even people who like believe it should be illegal. Like there's still a lot of unprogramming that we have to do societally for people to even think that they deserve support, like a doula for their abortion I talk to people all the time they're like I had a doula for my birth I never even thought about having one for my abortion I'm like hell yeah (laughs) yeah we're here we're
3: here I'm ready to help you mentioned Mm -hmm. that you come from a a lineage of abortion supporters and workers um Mm -hmm. so were you raised around people that were doing this work and supporting others through their abortions
2: yes and like um community care kind of way like you know they also were doing a lot of other things informally yeah yeah just one of the ways that they cared for their the other family members cared for their friends cared for people who knew that they were around and um i've learned a lot about my family's like my lineages of abortion workers through dream work through um research on who my family who i come from the people i come from um and so it was something that was normalized, but it wasn't until I got older that like the story started coming and I understood like, oh, this one time this happened and um, it's been an, un- like, I don't know, I'm a spiritual person. So it's been an unraveling, like I've got a little piece right here and it's like another pu- puzzle piece right here. And that's how it's felt being an abortion doula um, over the last handful of years is like, I'll get one piece here, one zine here that tells me a little bit of something then I'll find another teacher in there. Um, and i don't have a dream about an ancestor who shares something with me. Um, and so it's, it's exciting because <laughs> so I can work as an herbalist. It's just, it's like a lifetime of learning. Love
0: that. Um, can you talk a little bit about what being an herbalist is?
2: Yeah. So I am a matchmaker <laughs> between people <laughs> and plants. So oh, I I get, I get, I get to like talk with people and learn like what's going on in all of their body systems. Like sometimes people come in, for me because they have acid reflux and um they so that they, they, we talk about the acid reflux which is important to like get at like what people are like the primary reason people are coming in but it's also like we get to zoom out it's like let's look at the rest of your body let's look at your life let's look at you know what's happening energetically and then finding the plants in common and combining them um with flower essences and energetics as well to um support their well-being and i think for me like the goal of being an herbalist is to like help people learn how to take care of themselves. And I feel like we're living in really interesting times. (laughs) Um, And I think that one of the ways that my ancestors and all of our ancestors have like survived and thrived is through our relationships with plants. Um, And so it's a lot of the times it's reminding people that, that that resource is there for them. Cool.
0: You also work, um, on helping people track their cycle right and so it's as like a, a means of of fertility tracking right
2: mm-hmm. so, so i'm do, a yeah talk about that yeah i'm a fertility awareness method educator and mm-hmm. a sexual health educator um i went through a two-year program to be able to say that Woo-hoo! Yeah, you're shockingly
3: like more busy than all of us which is saying a lot <laughs> and I'm you like, have
2: a desk job I'm saying, how yeah. are you doing all of this <laughs> yeah well, I'm an Aries. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. It all I mean, makes sense. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, like I just, yeah, I started tracking my own cycle around the time that I started learning about plants to release. while at the same time, I started learning about um, plants to take care of myself. Because um, I, I believe that abortion access starts with educating people on how they become pregnant. Like these states that are passing these six week laws, 15 week laws are actually capitalizing off the reality that most people don't know where they are in their cycle. They don't know, they don't know they missed their period. They don't know that like their period is actually not a guarantee that they're not pregnant because bleeding can be, bleeding happens when implantation happens, bleeding can happen. Like, you know, it's, we're not taught how to track pregnancy, let alone release pregnancies. And so that's just one of the ways that I help prepare people. Like I, I think like people should be prepared for their abortion a year before it happens. And so it's like that, it's kind of like that, you know, people who have the time and energy to learn about their cycles is one of the best ways to protect um, their reproductive autonomy and to, to know what's happening with their body. And um, there's so much more than to cycle tracking than only preventing pregnancy. It's also a way to like achieve pregnancy, but like a way to track our our moods and seeing how things are cyclical and it's not just this random, like, you know, the capitalism makes us think that everything's on a 24 day cycle and that's not the reality. Yeah.
0: We've gotten really into over the last six seasons, like cycle tracking and and talking to folks about like where you are at different points in your cycle and the cervix. I imagine you're very familiar with people's cervixes and how to tell people when the cervix is this versus this versus, you know, high up, low (laughs) We heard it's, we heard the cervix is like a ninja.
2: (laughs) Ninja. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I don't know many ninjas, but I know many uh, (laughs) cervixes and uteruses, but I mean, the, the, the uterus is very bendy so it's like kind of moving where it needs to go and um, <laughs>
3: oh my god I would love for Sarah to get to know my cervix because
2: <laughs> I mean we're... she has a mind of her own <laughs> <laughs> like every
3: gynecologist I've met has a hard time
2: finding it <laughs> interesting yeah I wonder, I wonder why what have you had any gotten any answers as to the mystery what's of your the cervix? answer
3: meg what's it called it oh my god I've, I know so many things well I think my cervix is low set and to the right.
0: Didn't we think, think. here it was like a, there was a name for the uterus that you like an uterus? Antivert- oh, retroverted. Anti- retroverted uterus. Yeah,
3: our our gyneco- our friend that's a gynecologist thinks it's retroverted. My gynecologist didn't think that. She thinks <laughs> it's, it's so that I have a platap platypo- mm. shaped like um, bone structure. Pubis. I don't. know. The thing, Sarah, Sarah, what's your diagnosis? We do this show and then we forget everything that happened in any of the previous previous episodes. Yeah. Straight out yeah. our brain.
2: <laughs> I mean, I do want to shout out a really cool project called this like Beautiful Cervix yes. Project. Have you yes. heard of them? We, yeah. We, yeah, we profiled we them in.
0: Yes. It was beautiful. So I wrote cool. a song about the cervix to the tune of Britney Spears' Circus. Ooh. So if you ever I'll try. Want to try listen to that, that. episode? <laughs> I'll definitely look
2: for it. That's um, interesting.
0: <laughs> I would love to move on to the the ancestral history and knowledge of abortion. So, I mean, before there were clinics, I imagine there were abortions. One just assumes that mm-hmm. since there have been births, there have been abortions. So, can you give us a little like history one hundred and one on on abortions?
2: Mm-hmm. So um, I, my, my history of abortions is really like US centric. So that's like kind of like a bias I have. So um, something that I think is interesting is that, so the Comstock Act passed in 1873, a hundred years before Roe v. Wade, coincidentally, um, what changed the landscape of abortion in the so-called US. Um, it made abortion and contraceptives illegal illicit before then a board of fashions were being sold in catalogs that people could like send for um before then um that thing i mentioned about quickening the um you know the catholic church changing their stance that was like a big thing that happened in many different cultures like before, before then before this law passed before the catholic church changed their stance um people knew who to go in their community people would go to the midwives people would go to the healers and the herbalists and the um, the people who knew life and death and birth and all of that um, to to drink certain plants, to, to have certain types of baths, to do steams with certain things um, because they knew how to release abortions and um, I think that historically people had relationships with their cycles with the moon and with the plants that helped with pregnancy release and abortions and I believe and know in my heart and spirit that abortions have been happening as long as birth has been happening so it's a really historic thing that has been intertwined and is a part of leading bodies reality um i do have another nugget to share but it's, it's leading me so i'll say when it comes up again i'll share a little bit more about the history
1: well, i remember because we in doing research for this season um you know we read a lot of articles and there was one that also talked about, it, it's just so interesting to me that, like you said, pre maybe 1873, um, it's a, it's abortifacients. That's like the name for the medicines. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that they were like in catalogs. It's just like, did you lose your period? Get it back with like, they didn't even say like, are you pregnant and you don't want to be, they like found cute ways around it, but everyone was like,
2: how else do you, you know? Yeah, it would say like female ailments <laughs> or things like that in the catalogs. But and there was but there was also like more well like there's a specific, I don't remember her name right now, but there's like there was this infamous New York abortionist who after the Comstock Act like had her practice destroyed. And so there were abortionists. It was just, you know, before the Comstock Act and it still is today, like late like normal people were abortionists. Became outlawed and it was and it wasn't until 100 years later that doctors and now other medical professionals are allowed to practice abortion. And so a medicine that was in everyone's hands or people who were familiar with it, who whole held that medicine, got taken away and then it got put into the hands of doctors, which is like the history of medicine, whether it be birth or anything else, that's like, they take it away and then they only put it into certain people's hands. And then, which never guaranteed guaranteed abortion to anyone, Roe v. Wade was never enough.
3: It's also interesting to think that we lost a hundred years of that knowledge being passed on and a hundred years of people being trained to do this work. And, uh, it makes me stressed. It's just like, I hope if we lose the shit, we get it back very quickly. And in a way that, like you said, is actually serves everyone.
2: Mm-hmm. And like something I also want to acknowledge that it's like even hundreds of years before 1873 is that the witch trials in Europe, colonization that happened across the Americas like the the people the healers the people who knew medicine the midwives and the people who knew what plants could release pregnancies were the ones who were have been targeted with violence historically and so this wisdom has also it's been resilient over those hundreds of years like it's also like medicine that I think as as is that really the heart of all of that persecution because when people can control their family sizes, the state has a lot less control over us.
0: That's a good point. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I noticed in your um, Instagram, this is a little bit off topic, but it's kind of related to like how we discuss that period of time before Roe v. Wade came about. You've posted on social media that you sort of like you reject the imagery of a coat hanger when people talk about like, we won't go back. We won't go back um, to like pre-Roe. Um,
2: why does that image bother you? That image like kind of boils my blood. So thank you for bringing it up like, um, because I mean, it, it, the coat hanger imagery acknowledges the people who died because they used sharp objects to induce an abortion Um, And so I think that it's beautiful in the way it immortalizes those people, but it actually doesn't provide any education on what people's options are. And I think like people will actually use a coat hanger because they see that not actually doesn't provide education on mm, abortion pills. It doesn't provide any education on plants that can help us bleed. um, And it demonizes abortion, community abortion providers by saying like anything that's comes out of the clinic is unsafe and that's just not the reality of it when there are other safe and effective modes of abortion and so i think it's outdated and doesn't provide education for the people who need it that's so that's so interesting i
0: didn't think about that but you're to, you're absolutely that's so interesting that like it, it sort of sets up this dichotomy of like legal abortion and then everything else um as opposed to like yeah we just we're we're doing a whole thing on pills. We're writing a song <laughs> about that's pills exciting. so people can know about it. We write I mean, songs. it's Really, we write parody songs. They're really yeah. dumb,
2: but they're fun. Yeah. Um, One thing I want to add to is like around like the messaging that's coming up right now because more people are being involved in the uh, abor- pro abortion movement is the Handmaid's Tale is also pretty tone deaf. Like it's mm. it's just not. There, it's just not you know that that story was pretty much the reality of black and brown women stolen with put, put it on put it onto actresses with white faces and mm. it's just like we can't have we can't really like the reality is that these laws are going to impact black and brown women the most and they need to be centered in the narrative like it's not it's not a it's going to impact everyone with the uterus and also we can't get lost in um our own victim narratives,
0: and that do, do you think that also kind of sets up this like similar dichotomy of like we live in a world where abortion is like quote unquote federally legal or we're we, we're hopeless. Like, is is it a similar coat hanger situation where it's like no, there's there's actually other options?
2: I think I I feel that more more about the coat hanger. I yeah. feel like with the handsmaid's tale, it's more about white women understanding their struggle and not co-opting the struggle sure. black and brown women <laughs> yeah. and so i see i do see the coat hanger and the handmaid's tail generally the same people are promoting both sure. so i if, were, sure. if i'm talking to one group i gotta make sure i mention the
0: other <laughs> sure, like here's some problematic imagery we need yeah. to get out of our system
3: Could you kind of, like, walk us through, like, a typical cycle of working with a client? Like, what is the the, like, pre-preparation look like? What does it actually look like when you're with them? I guess I'm thinking more in terms of a clinical abortion or an abortion that takes place in a clinic. Like, what it, yeah, walk us through what, kind of what that journey looks like.
2: Yeah, um. I don't support that many people who have clinical abortions or at least are going into a clinic, but I could say hypothetically and kind of bridge it with what I know. Um, So it starts with that initial, they, they text me, they find me on my website, they book some time, they call me frantic, (laughs) you know, whatever comes through, we have that initial contact. Um, And then soon after that, um, we have like an hour phone call um, before their abortion Um, and it depends on where they are in their process. If they're still deciding about whether or not they want to have an abortion, i make space for like resources on either side. Um, and if they haven't chosen, um, what kind of abortion they want to have, I talk to them about what, um, their options are out there, whether it be herbal or with medications or in a clinic. Um, and, um, within that first, call when I'm like laying out some of their options um that's often the time where they can share with me and I'm there to hold space while they um share with me how um how whatever they want to share with me around their abortion oftentimes I'm the only person that people are telling about their abortion and so sometimes it's just the release of the opening of relieving of the valve of just like finally I get to tell someone Um, yeah offering that like non-judgmental space is really important um, and then usually, um, if someone is having a clinical abortion, we might text the day of, um, maybe I'll go with them and be in the waiting room if that was what they wanted. Um, and I think it's really important in the planning as well is to like, you know, whether it be medication or a clinic, uh, clinical abortion that they also have, we're, we're figuring out what their support network is going to look like, who can make a meal for them, who can drive them. Um, A lot of, or not a lot of, some uh, uh, abortion funds also provide practical support, like rides, childcare, and so making sure those logistical things are figured out and with an emphasis on, like, they deserve to be cared for. Um, And so that often means food comforts and, like, what do they want to eat? What makes them feel good? Making sure that's arranged for the day of. Um, And after their abortion, usually, Within a couple of days, but at least within a couple weeks, we check in again and have like a closing call where they can have space to reflect um, and um, just decompress from the abortion itself. So it's a few weeks span, usually.
3: And what does the care look like when people are doing, um, uh, I don't know how we say this, or like if people are using an, an abortion pill, um, what does that how does that care look different?
2: Mm -hmm. It looks different because then I, then I can actually be in person with them. So if they wanted there to be a support person or they wanted me to show up, like I'll be there for six or so hours while they move through their process. Um, and I think it looks different in that, like when you show up to a clinic, everything's set up for you. And when you're doing it at home, you got to set up some stuff, making sure someone like cleaning your toilet beforehand, like those little things that you like will actually bring you a lot of, like a lot of comfort. Um, if you're not going to clean your toilet, have someone else clean it for you, because um, you're going to be there for most of, for a lot of the, the time. And um, whether it be, you know, just spending time sitting on it, but or being in the bathtub, um, people spend a lot more time in their bathroom than they may expect. Making sure they have like uh, so any comfort measures like food. I'm such a foodie, so I'm like making sure you have soup on the stove, some tea, um, having heating pads, having actual menstrual pads, um, and just thinking about like what do you want to do to pass the time? Because often the misoprostol can take a little bit of time to like actually kick in. So it's like, do you want to be playing video games? Do you want to color? Do you want to write? Do you want to pray? Um, And sometimes, you know, talking about like what the actual release will look like is helpful, but also reminding them, like, it's not going to take the, you're not going to take the pill. Sometimes people just take the pill and they just start bleeding, but often it's like that waiting period and unknown. It's like, what are we going to do with ourselves? then? that is important
0: it sounds wow. so useful it's so it's, it's so useful and it, it reminds me a lot of i i didn't have a doula when i gave birth but it reminds me of what i've heard from people that are doulas of like we just take care of the things that you wouldn't think about yeah like you said like clean the bathroom like oh yeah i wouldn't even think about that make sure you um, have your comfort food that's yeah, yeah. yeah sounds, the way yeah. you
3: describe it is the exact opposite of the way it was described to me in a catholic high school <laughs> 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 like the way you describe it sounds like so peaceful and Mm -hmm. like yeah like you said it's there's space to actually process the decision you're making what your body's going through um just all of the emotions yeah it's I don't know if you went to Catholic school Sarah but
2: (laughs) um I I didn't go to Catholic school But I I don't know if there's another part of that question, but I didn't go to Catholic school. Mm. (laughs) But I have a lot of Catholic (laughs) friends.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and it sounds like family, although your Catholic family sounds freaking cool.
2: My Catholic family
0: is pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So unless any of either of the Megs have any more questions about that, I would love to move on to – Abortion access in California. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So, listeners, um, Sarah is based in California, and I think, and so are the three of us. So, I I think that the assumption is that oh, okay, no matter what happens, we're a blue state. Things are gonna be okay. Um, we like, I think even maybe California is one of those states that set that has like at the state level set up like will be a like a sanctuary state for. Maybe I'm getting this wrong, but basically, I, I think while other states are going super uh, doom and gloom into and the right, um, a lot of states are making seem to be making abortion access more readily available. But I would love to hear from Sarah what what's the reality on the ground. How has abortion access been over the last couple decades in California?
2: Yeah, um, abortion is definitely more widely accessible in California and will continue to be than other states. But that is like in less rural areas. In rural areas, people are still having to travel hours to get abortion care. Um, and even if abortion is legal um, in California, it doesn't mean clinics perform abortions up until the, what is it? I'm forgetting, my, my math is six times uh, uh, until the end of the second trimester. I'm like forgetting of the week count. <laughs> but um, 24 weeks, I think, um, even up until viability. All clinics aren't practicing that. And so people are having to travel to L.A. or San Francisco or Sacramento to get later term abortions. Um, And so I saw some numbers um, (laughs) um, on one call I was on saying that, like, we are the expected call volume of like access. Our abortion um, fund in California is going to increase is is projected to increase by 600 percent. And- Holy-
0: from from out from outside states
2: needing yep. to come in and-, oh. and california has an abortion provider shortage those are the big oh, things that i have to drop and share God. with you guys because it's like we're not prepared to be honest like it's- there's some really cool legislation coming through and like i don't i don't know if I think maybe Gavin Newsom might have used the word sanctuary at so at one point, but I it's.
3: I think it's, yeah, I think it's become right. like
2: a constitutional right in California, also in Colorado and like a couple other states, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But I want to see that in practice. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like we yeah. can't just yeah. have the clinics open hours away and say you can go if you want. <laughs> um, but yeah. the state of California should be start starting to like pay uh, for a lot more of abortions and providing funding to the abortion um fund in california which is all really great um there's an effort to train more um black and brown abortion providers because there's a, definitely a gap but like a racial gap of who is actually trained as abortion providers as well and so there's some things happening and also like i'm like we need to do more Not <laughs> we, need to, we need to we need to decriminalize abortion um, and, mm-hmm. you know, we can't just make it sure it's legal, we can make sure it's decriminalized when we understand that people can manage their abortion safely with Mifi and Miso and they can, you know, something yeah. that's cool is I'm sure, you, I mean, I, perhaps y'all mentioned this on a previous podcast, but Aid Access and Plan C, um, they're yeah. both resources mm-hmm. to get medication and abortions. And in California, you can order those medications even before you're pregnant. And they have a, yeah, they have a two year shelf life. So um that's, oh, that's wow, a cool that's awesome. California thing.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah, I know it's it's different for every state. And just in case the listeners miss that, Mife and Miso are the names of the abortion pills that you take in conjunction to induce a miscarriage. Um, other than that, like what else can California do? You said like decriminalize abortions. Like how so? Like how in what ways? Right now in California, are they is it decriminalized?
2: Um, decriminalizing abortion would mean um, people being able to practice and manage their own abortions without the threat of being criminalized. Um, But
0: like that's happening now. Like if someone is to in California, there's
2: people there's someone there's people in California who their, their charges have since been dropped, but there's people who've been um, incarcerated for miscarriages in California.
3: Oh my God.
2: Like Mm -hmm. that's the thing too, like Mm -hmm. about all this like abortion restriction is it's going to also impact miscarriage care tremendously um, there are people yeah. across the U.S. who are incarcerated for miscarriages, but there is someone who was charged in California. Um, I'm not I'm not remembering her name right now. I can maybe send it to you all for the show notes. But there's, yeah, there, it still happened. Like the the incarceration system in California is like it's all these these struggles are intertwined. And as long as mm-hmm. there's people who are um, there's like a huge system of incarceration in California, then we're not going to see our freedom in abortion access either.
0: Wow, how else does abortion access like what what else does it have to look like in California to be even better like an abortion clinic in every single town
2: I think that there needs to be more abortion clinics that perform abortions later on Um, and Mm -hmm. we also need to recognize there are like community abortion providers and they should be able to practice Mm -hmm. without the risk of incarceration too I think that like Mm -hmm. it is good for the medical model to continue to grow but I also think we need to lean on traditional midwives and traditional um, abortion providers and recognize their skills as valuable um, so that they can practice more openly I think it's there's the same thing happening you know in depending on the state you're in with midwifery Some 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 places traditional midwives california is one of the places that traditional midwives are allowed to have licensures and practice birth Mm -hmm. in other states it's illegal to you know practice midwifery entirely or some states you have Mm -hmm. you have to be um i forget what they're called but midwives who work in hospitals you have to have be under the supervision of a doctor so it's like we need to get to a place where there should be options and not only just in birth work but also in abortion work too
3: Man, it really is all connected. Because even the things you're discussing, it's just straight up misogyny. It's basically we're taking your skills, Mm -hmm. we're creating an institution around it, and we're making that the only possible way that you can use this wisdom to help other people. Mm
2: -hmm. Exactly. And um, some things people can do to like prepare, or something I want to mention is like you know, as Californians, like you know, what 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 can we do is. There, so access has a volunteer program. If people are wanting to offer practical support, um, they so practice practical support includes like giving people rides, providing childcare, providing funding um, for people's procedures, um, creating a safety plan for yourself. Like you know, wherever you are in California or in the United States, um, thinking like, what would I do if I did get pregnant? Um, do the pharmacies around me have a Plan B in stock? I think that it's important that this doesn't become like a toilet paper situation where everyone's just like buying yeah. all the Plan B. Yeah. Because I've right. honestly already mm-hmm. seen some places online that pl- Plan B's less lower and lower stock than it normally is. Which it's good mm-hmm. that people are getting mm-hmm. what they need, but it's important to distribute. You know, to make sure you're not just hoarding those yeah. things. And um, I think it's m- more proactive to call the clinics, the clinics, the um, pharmacies around you, and make sure they have Plan B and they have Ella in stock, another emergency contraceptive. Yeah. yeah.
0: How else, so just in, before we ask you our crazy questions, um, <laughs> before we get crazy with a K, um, w- j- yeah, how can, how do people, how do you recommend that people spread the word about abortion doulas, um, and people like yourself that are, have such knowledge of abortion care?
2: Sharing our websites, sharing, um, you know, if you hear someone having abortion, asking if they're having, if they have a doula, helping pay for their doula, <laughs> um, Mm. Uh, just letting people know like for me when I started working as an abortion doula there was like a gap between me reading everything nerding out like thinking I was ready and then like actually meeting my first client like it was probably like a nine month year process of like me being like am I ever going to get a client and during that time I just talked about abortion I just like that is I give a lot of content warnings when I'm teaching because I'm also an educator but that's one of the things that I'm like I'm just a walking abortion content warning trigger warning because yeah i just talk to people and then when you talk to people about abortion then the stories come up of people who've been had abortion decades ago and they didn't tell anyone about it and like it's just it's really sacred to hear see what comes up and so i want to encourage people to talk about abortion more um talk to their elders about abortion talk to their family members about abortion because there's stories that are just quiet sitting there waiting to be heard yeah
3: i mean that's kind of what we do with periods it's, yeah, the thing that you discuss is the same thing that we experience, is you mention it, like, I remember being in a car of five women menstruators, and I mention it, and, you know, three of them shared their story, and then we started talking about puberty and shame, and, you know, like, all of the stories come out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
2: something is, I really want to encourage people, if, you're, if you bleed and if you menstruate, is to, like, track your cycle um and find an app that you can trust I like the read your body app um they actually encrypt your data which is cool yeah
0: another one we've 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 learned about a few other ones that do that too. I
2: like the read your body one because it also doesn't have any predictor modes and it was like crowdsourced and made by fam educators but there are other good ones too um but I think that like even if you're just starting to track your period like start with that like I personally teach the symptothermal method, so I track cervical fluid and basal body temperature, waking temperature on a daily basis to know when, and when, when I'm fertile and when I'm not. And I teach other people how to track that, too. So just start with one thing and add another layer. And then, in a, you know, in a year, you know, there's no pressure to learn it right away. Um, but I think that that's a really important tool um, for folks who bleed.
0: Let's get to our crazy questions. Um, oh,
3: yeah. Wait, could we first ask Sarah yeah. about her first or about their first period? Yeah. Ooh, I, I feel like we got to know knowing gotta your know. family, <laughs> yeah. knowing these people that you are surrounded by. I'm assuming there's a story there.
2: I mean, a story that probably is not as like fluffy or spiritual as I had wanted. I remember I was in I was in high school. So I was like one of the last people. Was I in high school? maybe I was in middle school. I'm actually, I was in middle school. um, And I was one of the last people in my friend group to get their period. And like, it was because I was really undernourished. I like wasn't drinking water. I only drank Coca-Cola. I grew up in the desert. (laughs) So all we drank was Coca-Cola. And (laughs) I remember we had, I was in this, like this class and we were learning about statistics and we were doing a survey of how many sodas do you drink in a week? And I, I said, like, well, I drink like three a day. And then I was like calculating and everyone looked at me and I was like, oh, everyone's like, you should be drinking water. And so I started drinking water. Within two weeks, I had my first period. Wow. <laughs> like, so my body's like, thank you. <laughs> and I remember like it was brown blood. I like thought that I was like leaking out my butt. I know because I had learned about periods, but I didn't know it was supposed to be brown. I was like That's our whole thing, Sarah. <laughs> it's brown. No one tells you it's we brown. We have a song
1: about it.
2: <laughs> I love that. Makes me so happy. And I told a couple of my friends, but I didn't tell my mom. And I like stole her pads. And I used like I used pads that one time. And then the next day I got tampons and used tampons for like a decade until I stopped using until I stopped using tampons um and started using reusable pads and menstrual or Mm -hmm. menstrual cups which i don't i don't use menstrual cups as much anymore but reusable pads were like my thing now but we love those yeah there's just like a little bit of sprinkle of shame in my story a little bit of secrecy (laughs) but mostly confusion i was like what is going on with my butt (laughs) yeah
0: it's so oh. cute it's brown it's what confusing. is going on with my, with my butt, butt is the na- title of app okay <laughs> 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 um, oh my god okay so also knowing like
2: sarah like, you started tampons day two? Day two. Jesus. Grew- yeah. Badass. Yeah, I grew up That's in the awkward. desert. I grew up in Vegas, so, like, I don't know. I was, like, wearing thongs being, like, I don't have time for pets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and now I'm, like, gosh, like, if I ever had to use a tampon again, that'll be a tough day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a real <roll> 180.
0: <laughs> okay, so knowing that menstrual history, um and then like yeah we would love to know about your period now or you can also answer these questions about your cycle too I know we've asked some people and they've more responded about their cycle but if your period I think I gave you the wrong I think I asked you if your period in the email were a tv star Mm -hmm. but I forgot that the actual question is a little bit more specific the Ah. question is Sarah if your period
2: were a reality star (gasps) who would it be oh my goodness well I wasn't prepared for that one. (laughs) I know, I'm sorry. (laughs) A reality star. I mean, I love Love is Blind. I love Mm, all those shows. uh, I'm like, I can't think
0: of a specific character. You can give us an archetype if that, because all those shows I feel like just have archetypes too.
2: (laughs) I mean, the person who's like probably like over touchy and like (laughs) the person who's like, dating multiple people. Yeah. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Being secretive about it. Like I feel like that might be my menstrual cycle. But I wanna no. I wanna answer the T V character one because I okay, sure yeah. Answer, do, yeah, yeah, answer do this T V character. Kim Possible.
0: The, when I was thinking
2: about it, like the whole thing was like call me beat me if you want to reach me. I'm just like hell yeah. Like that's exactly what my period's like. It's like you need me, I'll be there. <laughs>
0: Oh wow. And, and and you're someone who who does respond when people call you, beep you, if they need to reach you.
3: Exactly. So
1: possible.
0: It's been a while
1: Holy since i have read that crap. Name. Okay. So um second question.
2: What is your period wearing, Sarah? If my period stepped out on the night on uh, uh, for a night on the town, mm-hmm. my period would be wearing my period wouldn't be stepping a night out I, I, at, for a night out on the town. My period would <laughs> be like, we're doing what? Yeah. <laughs> I, once it got dressed and it was ready, it'd be like a short, cute black dress and some mm-hmm. chunky black heels and like Ooh. nice, nice little like. I'm, I used to love to dress up as posh when I was younger, and I was like, oh, that's what oh, my favorite.
0: You're <laughs> such a posh. <laughs> Class,
2: yeah. that's
1: really yeah. love it
0: yeah it'd be simple
1: ha- and lbd and some chunky yeah
2: yes. it would hard to be hard to get my period out the door but once like they got out it would be like yeah. we'd be out all night <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, you can't stop that flow <laughs> no. <Try not. laughs> oh my god okay if
3: your period were a work of art what would be its title
2: so this was the most difficult one for me cause I was like, and I like looked up art pieces. Like, what do, the what do they call art? Yes.
0: And what is art titled these days? <laughs> yeah. And what I,
2: what I came up with is bloody beginnings and endings. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Of life. Yeah, yeah, cause every period I'm like, I'm releasing so much but it's also the beginning of my next cycle. And it's just like this mm. beautiful transition you know, period, period, literally.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I love oh, that.
1: Love it.
0: Great answer. Sarah, where can people learn more about you and learn about your work?
2: Yeah. So you can come over to my Instagram at um, Sarah Merrick. I spell my name. C E R A M E R R I C K. They did uh, a cute
1: little arm dance there. too. Yes. <laughs> an audio medium. But there was some
2: cute armness. <laughs> um, my website's also my name, Sarah Merrick.com. Um, so come over to my website, see what my offerings are. Um, my instagram is usually more up to date with like the classes i'm teaching but yeah i offer herbal services herbal consultations i teach people how to track their cycle and obviously i also offer abortion support so.
1: awesome any you final so thoughts for- yeah thank you. <laughs> you
0: any final thoughts for our listeners as we enter this horrible next chapter
2: of our country's history Take care of yourself. Um, Drink some chamomile tea, have some nerve vines. Nerve vines are plants that support our nervous system. Um, Like really, like, I don't know when y'all are going to publish this, but start drinking them every day because the ways that we can prepare our nervous system for what's to come so that we can feel a little bit more grounded when it comes, the better um, we can be. And really look towards organizers who've been doing abortion work for a while. Look to Sister Song look to um, the Access uh, Abortion um, Fund to um, follow their leadership um, because I think that the energy that will come out of it will, you know, organizing, you know, whatever happens will be like beautiful and whatever people want to offer. But I want to remind people that there's been folks who've been doing this work for decades, for centuries and um, for for generations. um, And uh, they have a lot to, teach and a lot to share around how to respond um, to these, this moment.
0: That's awesome. That's like the big thing. I think I'm learning from all this is that like people have been in this fight and just like look to them
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and take care of yourself, take care of your people and mostly, most importantly, take care of your heart because it's, it's going to be a violation when it comes down and it's, it's okay for you to, you know, protect yourself. And however you need to do that by taking care of yourself. Thank you
0: so much, Sarah. This has been such a really fascinating and illuminating interview, and we thank you
2: so much for all you do. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate being here. Thanks. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Break on through to the other side. Break on through oh, gotcha. to the other side. God, people probably, hopefully, remember it was an that an hour long <laughs> yeah. podcast. That's what we call a callback.
1: But I did it just seconds later. <laughs> In our brain, yeah. it was
0: back to back. Yeah, listeners, what a great episode. Are we right? Come on. Uh,
1: I mean, everyone, every single person who has an abortion should be so lucky to have a doula.
0: Yes. Yes, Like just as the same with giving birth. I love that. I think the biggest thing I took away from this was Sarah giving sanctity to this pregnancy, even if it doesn't end in a child being shoved out of your vagina. Yeah. Like think about pro-life people don't even give this much sanctity to pregnancies. Like they think that people just like are pregnant and then are not pregnant. Like that's not fucking how it works and like the sanctity and honor that she gives to this that that sarah that they give to this pregnancy if you so choose if you also just want to like they said treat it like a clump of cells yeah that's fine too but like they bring so much as many options to how you want to handle this pregnancy i thought it was beautiful
1: agreed and like all the different you know because we learned with our shouting your abortions episode like so many people find themselves in this position where they're like, I never thought I was going to be the person mm-hmm, who needed mm-hmm, an abortion. Mm-hmm. So like, there's all sorts of feelings that come with that even if you've been pro-choice your whole life yes. and it just makes total logical sense. Um, you may still want someone to help you like process. process. Yes. yes.
0: And like, yeah, like Carla talked to us. Like she was like, I just never thought, I, th- I think she kind of basically said this, like I had shame because mm. I, even though I was pro-choice, I didn't expect myself to be in this position. Yeah,
1: Right. She was like, I'm married. I could
0: yes. like, yes. you know, yes feasibly have a third child, but no, I couldn't. No, she physically couldn't. Right. Um, also what Sarah said about the coat hangers, man, that like opened and turned around and flip flopped my brain. Yeah. I was like, sorry, that was my text message from my (laughs) husband interrupting. Uh, Acquaintance of the Acquaintance. Um, yeah. What she said about coat hangers, just like I'm done. I'm done. Coat hangers. You're dead to me. You're dead. You're gone. Get out of here. Um, I've seen, like, on, like, you know, Pantsuit Nation, that Facebook group, so many, like, Gen X and boomers are sharing. Yes. (laughs) Obviously, a millennial would never. Never. We Um, never do anything wrong. But it's just like, oh, because, like, it does demonize that, like, what happens outside of a clinic, no matter what, is a coat hanger level of bad. Right. And it's like, no, there are people that do other things that are fine outside of clinics.
1: And it's such a good point. Like, the more you share a coat hanger image, the more it reiterates to someone who is in a a deep red state with absolutely no access now, that maybe that's their only option. Yes. And that's not the case. It's like reverse abortion like pills, like, abortion pills, abortion pills.
0: Abortion pills. pills. Um, ugh, thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. And Sarah was at our live show. Yes. We interviewed them and then offered, like, would you come to our show? And they showed up. And they can. They were the only, I think, person in the audience that had been on the podcast. Oh, That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. That's cool. That's really cool.
1: Also, um, uh, Lane. Who has called in a couple times. Yes,
0: and yeah, several people in the audience were frequent callers. callers Yes, so thank you for... Yeah. Shout out to Lane. Yeah, love you, Lane. Um,
1: yeah, pretty cool.
0: Pretty Pretty cool. cool. Um, I kind of want to do a read my labias. Let's do it. Let's do it. Read my labias. Read my labias. Read
1: my labias. Read
0: my labias. Labias.
1: Um, you know, lots of things are getting me fired up in the news. Uh, but the thing that came to mind first when Kate said, read my labias, um, was both something that made me mad and then made me so fucking stoked. Uh, Matt Gates is, oh, fuck is that a guy. living, walking, um, diarrhea stain. Oh my God. And, uh, That's and so a- he body shamed. Olivia? No, he probably him like any, everyone any pro-choice person. Yeah, fuck that yeah. guy. he said some bullshit like the, the women fighting for abortion aren't gonna get pregnant anyways. Like fuck
0: you. He's such um, a tool. It's it's the same sort of like no one wants to rape you, it's right? Like, fuck you're like oh you're fucking asshole. You can go fuck yourself.
1: Uh, so he's just constantly living up to his shit-stained standards, and um. And I don't know if he specifically called out this activist or if he just was ragging on every pro-choice activist, but Olivia Juliana, who is a Gen Z activist... Um, From Texas, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, you know, specifically called out Matt Gates to be like, hey, this fucker body shamed me. Let's raise some money for abortion funds anyways. And in 72 hours she raised a million and then that very like within 12 hours after she hit this goal of a million it got to 1.5 which like shut the she's like Matt Gates who has 1.4 million followers helped me raise 1.5 million dollars and I was like oh
0: that's so good it feels good also isn't he like a suspected pedophile (laughs)
1: okay trafficking a 17 year old on his flights to have sex with disgusting so he Um, I mean, I don't believe in hell, but he'll burn there. Um, and we're just going to have to put up with him on this mortal coil. Let's send
0: him our kidney stones.
1: Yes. Our cramps, our kidney stones, our clocks, our dermoid cysts. Yeah. Everything. Our (laughs)
0: Gerhardts. That's a good one. That's a really good one. Mine is very low stakes compared to that. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Get into it. Read my labias. People on Instagram that follow me. And like a photo, (laughs) but I have no idea who you are, Uh and you are private.
1: Oh, okay. No,
0: you're immediately getting blocked. I don't know who you are, because I actually don't. I like to be public. I don't like to be private. But I also... So that's, but because of that, I don't post a lot of my child. Sure. So when you go in and you friend me or you you follow me on Instagram and then you like all my pictures of me and my kid that are like, there's four of them. Yep. You're gone. Yeah. At least make yourself, at least make yourself public. So I can like, do we have friends in common? Do I know you? Some of these people have like 80 followers and like, what I'm just like, you're, you're a bot, you're a bot, you're gone. But it's just like, but maybe you're not. And, And cause like, you know, I'm sort of. Sometimes I'm sort of public facing in my job. Like right. if I'm in the credits of a video that goes viral or whatever, people find me or someone who has a following will tag me. Mm-hmm. And I get all these weird followers from that. Um, also as like
1: public personas as podcast
0: hosts. Of course. We
1: should be discoverable. Right. <laughs> so.
0: Exactly. And I want to I be that. But ugh, it's so annoying. And my other mini read my labias. Maybe I've said this before. I feel like this is something I would have brought up. Let it out. When people call me Katie. Ugh. Who's did calling I, you Katie? Did I say my name was Katie? No my whole life people did I say almond milk did I say (laughs) um oh my god you know my whole life people have called I mean I think it's because it's a mixture of they misheard me Mm -hmm. or they slightly misremember or they assume because I'm Kate I must go by I must be Katie go by Kate Uh uh-huh right yeah because like you know a lot of people are Katie Hayes Meg Hayes' sister is Katie goes by Kate I my full name is Kate as I was growing up as a kid I'd say just plain Kate I would me. get really mad at at adults that called me Katie. I would say, "Did I say Katie?" <laughs> um, the Airbnb guy who that we just stayed at his place. He, actually, let me pull it up because clearly, again, this is probably a bot writing back to mm-hmm. me. <laughs> but it's like it's in my name, like it's in my email, it's right. in my signature, and people still call me Katie. So I just got this message today from him. It was a review, actually, uh, a review. So it's like a public review. Kate was a good guest. Kate was respectful of our rules and property. Katie made sure to check <laughs> in and out on time. We'd be honored to have Katie stay with us again. I'm sorry. There was no Katie. What it wasn't happen? Kate and Katie. At yeah. This, at it this. now sounds
1: like an adorable lesbian
0: couple who are called Kate and Katie. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Kate was a good guest, but Katie we'd be honored to have back. <laughs> right. um, it's like, homie, like, get Take it right. A second. Take a second. Take it's a not prep. that hard. It's and it's also, not my God, name. God,
1: when you... Um, do like misspell a name in an email when the person's name is in the email that's literally right above where you're typing it's like everyone should just take a breath before they hit send and just make sure the name's right right. Right. typos are okay we'll forgive typos and commas call me call me kale
0: you know call me air
1: call me ishmael call me don't call me katie don't
0: call me katie don't call me katie (laughs) yeah and don't follow me unless you're also public and i can figure out who the fuck you are there you go Anyway, you've made yourself clear. I'm actually more riled up now than about the Matt Gaetz thing. Yeah. so I gotta Hilarious. go cool off. I,
1: I am too. I'm trying to think of something that matches this. Like, <laughs> read my labia's. My hair's cowlicks. <laughs> I'm sick of you.
0: Um, Meg Hayes, do you ever read my labia? Yeah, thanks so much for asking. <laughs> Kate. Not a mouse. Hi, <laughs> oh, thanks so much. I'm Meg Hayes. <laughs> you guys, you guys
1: that's our episode thanks gang for following along with us for putting up with me singing the doors um next week we are very excited uh Kate Elston our very own is bringing some bleed search about surprise tubal ligation and I was this close to litigation again
0: yep tubal litigation tubal litigation there are some stories about litigate tubal ligation litigation
1: oh Okay, great. Yep, yeah. I'm. I'm even more excited. I didn't think I could get more excited about tubal ligation, surprise bleed surge. Um, so tune in next week. Um, and until next week, you know where to find us: Instagram, Vicious Cycle Podcast. You can call our hotline with any kind of story. Uh, our hotline is nine one zero six uterus. Um, and you know, just as always, until next week, keep calm
0: and bleed everyone. Our theme song was written by Meg Trowbridge and performed by The Go-Ahead. Find them at thegoaheadmusic.com. And our Vicious Psycho logo was created by Katie Newman. Find her at katienewman.online.